a short sermon this morning, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very potted version. My walk with the Lord began when I was uh, somewhere between 14 and 15. Gave my life to Christ at a uh, John Mallison uh, crusade meeting. And uh, was uh, disciplined by the well, at that time, Methodist minister in the church who was uh, great with uh, youth and young people. And I suppose about two years after that, uh, we were going away as a family for our uh, holidays and uh, were involved in a car accident. And there was nobody in the church that could adequately answer for me the question, if God's supposed to love me, how come he let this happen to us? And so I turned my back on uh, God, the church, uh, for a number of years. And uh, But uh, at a part time when my life uh, had actually got quite messy, I discovered that God was still around. Um, I found solace in, in bushwalking, walking out in the bush in the wilderness of uh, Tasmania. And one morning, uh, even though I was with a group in the bushwalking club, I found myself on my own, walked out into this uh, clearing and the sight was just magnificent. The sun shining on the mountains, uh, it was early in the morning, there was dew glistening on the, the leaves and I found myself singing How Great Thou Art and uh, I was glad that I was on my own. <laughs> That's another story. Uh, yeah, so that was, I think, the discovery that started things uh, rolling again, if you'll excuse, excuse the pun. Uh, <laughs> wasn't that long after that that uh, I met Jan. Uh, we were married. Uh, Scott and Ross came along and as uh, parents we did the right thing and had them, uh, I don't know whether it was still called christened at that stage, but baptised as infants. And uh, our minister said on both occasions I'd like you to start coming to church and become part of the fellowship uh, which bit we ignored um, but the second time at uh, the time of uh, Ross's baptism we well no sorry I'll let Jen talk for herself I determined that we'd go to church once a month and that'd get this guy off our back <laughs> and uh, sort of satisfy all righteousness. We didn't get there the first Sunday that we attempted to go because uh, it took me so long to wash our microbus that we ended up being late. <laughs> you know, you had to have everything clean and pristine. Uh, but we did make it and it wasn't long before uh, we were not only going once a month but every Sunday and then uh, twice and uh, things that's really started to roll along. Uh, 
We were dis discipled by um, the minister, Reg Davies, and his wife, uh, Marlene, and they gave up a lot of time just for us, and that made a very big impact on me, that these two people would set aside time just for us. Um, consequently, grew in our faith, and uh, I was uh, elected an elder of the church, and then started to get restless, sitting in the pew, watching other people preach and thinking, well, I'd really love to do that. And, uh, but there was no way that Jam wanted to be uh, a pastor's wife at that stage. But uh, the call continued. I got more and more restless, and one day I just had to share it with her, and she will tell, her, tell you her part of that story, I guess. Um, so I did my training in Melbourne. Uh, we had uh, four years on King Island as our first parish, uh, eight years at uh, North Albury, uh, two years at Hoppers Crossing until the, uh, I don't know whether it was the second or third, great hiccup within the Uniting Church uh, over the homosexuality issue and uh, felt God saying that it was time to to move on from the Uniting Church. And I tried to make all sorts of arrangements uh, for that to happen uh, until one day God said, well, did I actually ask you to do this, to take this step? And uh, my response was no, but, and most of you will know that once you say but to God, you've lost the argument. Um, and then he proceeded to tell me that he wanted us to do absolutely nothing for at least 12 months, just to um, sit in the pews, be ministered to and be restored. Uh, other events led us back to Albury, Wodonga, and to Wodonga District Baptist Church, where we've uh, felt loved and accepted and supported and uh, God has been restoring us through the ministry here, through you people, uh, through the castaways. Uh, I had to get a plug in for them. <laughs> uh, we don't know what uh, the next step is. We have some inklings of where God might be leading us. Uh, I believe that this morning is a big step in that. Uh, but we'll continue to... Uh, worship uh, our God to uh, follow Christ and uh, to hang on to the promise that he gave uh, us some time ago from Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So we live with that hope and uh, look forward to the future. Thank you. Not sure that I need those. Um, I've written what I want to say, Dan, because I have terrible trouble articulating my words these days. So I hope that you'll bear with me. Although I never appreciated the fact at the time, I was fortunate to attend 
in England as I was growing up, a, uniting, uh, a Church of England primary school. Um, it just happened to be the school in our area. And there, in addition to the three R's, I received a good grounding in most of the basics of the Christian faith. You know, things like the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and all the most familiar Bible stories. However, the one thing that was never mentioned was the fact that it is possible, in, indeed it's desirable, to have a personal, loving relationship with Jesus. Nor was this fact imparted to me, if in fact they knew it, by, uh, by my parents, who seemed to have stopped going to church sometime between being married and, and me being born. But despite, despite that, something must have struck a chord because I was moved to walk the entire distance across the town where we lived, a town of some 33,000 people, to attend church along with my sister who, who was just younger than me and my grandmother. It was the Church of England church where uh, both Trish and I had been baptised, or christened as it was then, I suppose. Unfortunately, the atmosphere in that church more resembled a rather uh, exclusive club than, uh, than muddling a, a loving Christian community. So needless to say, we didn't persevere there for too long. In my teenage years, I thought hardly at all about God and with the arrogance of youth, for a while even denied him the right to exist. With no one to encourage me on the narrow way, I drifted. And in my later teenage years, following the breakdown of my parents' marriage and, and their subsequent divorce, um, as a misguided attempt to feel loved and accepted, I suppose, in the words of the song, I went looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's something that I'm not really very proud of. At the age of 21, I met David, and we married, and um, I think... Uh, to be honest, David, I think, deserved an award for putting up with me in those early years because I was a very wound up, very angry, angry individual. The next part of the story David's already shared with you uh, about the arrival of Scott and Ross, and, and I'll add that they, are, they were then and they've continued to be a, a blessing in both our lives. Um, as David said, we felt loved and accepted and blessed in our local fellowship. And when David shared with me that he, um, he felt this call into the ministry, although I wanted to, oh boy, did I want to, I physically couldn't say, no, I don't want to do it. I really feel that God had his hand on me at that time. Um, as I grew in my Christian faith, I, I think I'm losing it, Jonathan. Um, what do I want to say? Even yeah, even though I was growing in my Christian faith, I, I struggled from time to time with uh, feelings of inadequacy, self-condemnation, fear, and guilt. And I also, as I got older, recognised in myself some very unattractive traits, uh, like a very controlling nature and perfectionism. It's perhaps ironic that it took a CVI stroke five years ago for me to be under, 
to begin to understand and accept that I really wasn't in control after all. And God had finally got my attention. I wish I, can say, I could say that um, he's kept that attention since then. Um, but uh, alas, during the time, as David mentioned, we've left the Uniting Church and I lost focus and regressed. Arriving back in Albury 20 months ago, the last thing I actually wanted to do was attend a, a church of any sort. Um, I thought I needed time out. And uh, needless to say, after three months of trying time out, I was in a worse mess than I was to start with. And finally, I was at a point where God could get my attention again. I was convicted of my need for him and the need for fellowship with his people. And as you know, we, pro we have an existing connection with Budonga Bats, and so it was natural that, uh, that we came here. As David said, we've found ourselves so completely loved and accepted that, uh, to borrow an expression that um, Angela used on Friday as she spoke in Breathe, I feel that I've loved, literally been loved back into the kingdom of God by you people here, and I thank you for that. Once upon a time, I could have stood up here and told you all this without the need for notes, and I originally told Jonathan that I wasn't going to stand up here and tell you anything because I get too emotional and, and tied up by words that I just can't articulate. But on Thursday night, as I lay in bed unable to sleep, God spoke to me. Tell them about yourself, he said. And of course I argued. Two verses came to my mind, 2 Corinthians 12.9 and Philippians 4.13. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I can do everything through him who has given me strength. As David said, we don't know what's in store, but we know that he has something in store in ministry for us, and we just look forward to what that's going to be. Thank you. great moment and I've just been struck uh, during this service have you noticed if you've been listening carefully about the incredible ways that our uh, various ministries work together to demonstrate the love of Christ and to encourage each other we've heard from playgroup and the, um, transformations that have occurred you, you know over time and and their vision and we've heard about the castaways you know although it was a plug it was a it was a uh, demonstration of the love that they've experienced there and we've heard about Breathe and I've heard that on Friday was just a wonderful break up with a number of people sharing about the way that ministry has impacted their lives and we could talk about each ministry in our church and I think that's wonderful that um, each of us uh, embodying the values of our church together and are saying this is what we stand for. Um, remember the values? Anyone's going to have a quick go to jump up now and do that? Last time in the second service, we've got someone. Anyone going to come up now? Yes, come up, Phil. Let's give him a round of applause. Now, <laughs> oh, come right up, Phil. Don't be shy. Shall we use this one, Mason? 
Thanks. If you can do the actions as bonus points, Bill. <laughs> no, I don't think I can do the actions. Okay, let's do the actions as he says which ones they are. We value Christ, we're Christ-centered. That's right. We're biblically based. We value prayer. We value worship. We value um, growth. We value... <laughs> <laughs> we value this is not that funny, guys. <laughs> Come on, I'm working out. <laughs> we value service. Yes. And now we're going to value integrity. That's right. Did he miss one? Who, who wants to say what it was? Oh, no, you can have another go. Prayer, Bible. Who wants to? Let's yell it out. Fellowship. Loving Christian community. Remember that one there? That's great. That's, that's the one. And today we're doing um, Happy Thanksgiving too, Thank Phil. You. Had a great time. We've got some Americans that have enjoyed that this, this week. That is fantastic, isn't it? Here we go. Here, here's something you can celebrate this Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thank you. Isn't that great? That's right. So he's done that so well, and that's that's great. And we don't we do this. Um, together just so that we can, that you can remember them. You know, week after week, it's hard to remember them. So let's do them together uh, one more time, hey? In, oh, hang on, I'll tell you the last one today, integrity. We just thought it might be good, you know, how you raise your right hand and put your hand on your heart, you know? <laughs> and we just thought that would be a good one for today, okay? So that's where we're going to end up with, okay? So the first one is we're Christ-centred. We value Christ. We're Bible-based. We... Uh, worship God. We're prayerful people. We value loving Christian <laughs> community. Loving Christian community. Uh, we value a growth. We value service. And today, we value integrity. Got it? Okay, that's exciting, isn't it? Hey? These are the values of our church, and uh, that's what we're, we're talking today about. Um, just reminding you that together, the, the deacons and the staff uh, got together and sort of brainstormed and wrestled and prayed and talked together. And then what we did was we gathered with um, the wider church, uh, the leaders of the church that meet monthly, and we shared these values together, and we sought feedback on each occasion. And the whole process unfolded over a year and uh, we've brought them today to, uh, over this series to try and share them with you so that you would uh, catch them as well. Values are so important. They underline the way that we live. Um, it's, it's very hard for people who value something to live differently to that because it's what we genuinely hold clear. Um, do you know, there was a, a Jewish boy, R.C. Sproul talks about a Jewish boy who grew up in a, German, uh, in a German home m many years ago in Germany. And the lad, he had a profound uh, sense of admiration for his father who saw to it that the life of their family revolved around the religious practices of faith. The father led them to the synagogue every uh, week faithfully. In this lad's teen years, However, the boy's family were forced to move to another town in Germany. And this town had no synagogue, only a Lutheran church. 
and the life of the community revolved around the Lutheran church. All the best people belonged to it. Suddenly, the father announced to the family that they were all going to abandon their Jewish traditions and join the Lutheran church. Now, when the stunned family asked why, the father explained that it would be good for business. The youngster, he was bewildered and he was confused. He, he had deep sense of disappointment and his deep sense of disappointment gave way to a uh, anger and a kind of intense bitterness that plagued him right through his life. Later he left Germany and he went to England to study and each day found him at the British Museum formulating, for, formulating his ideas and composing a book. In that book, he introduced a whole new world view and con, uh, conceived a movement that was designed to change the world. He described religion as the opiate for the masses. He committed the people who followed him to life without God. His ideas became the norm for uh, the governments of almost half the world's people. His name is Karl Marx, the founder of the communist movement. The history of the 20th century and perhaps beyond was significantly affected because one father let his values become in distorted. His integrity was lost. The son saw his dad as lacking genuine integrity. You see, integrity uh, is something that the dictionary describes as wholeness, as soundness, as uprightness. It's honesty. It's being true. It's the sense of being in a state of complete unity, being completely unified in who I am. See, when I have integrity, my words and my actions match up. When a church, when a person has integrity, I am who I am, no matter who I'm with or where I am. You know, when a church has integrity, the things that the people in that church believe are seen in the way that they act. The leaders of the church are the same in front of their family in front of their kids, as they are when they're up on the platform or in front of a team. The people serving on a ministry team treat each other the way they would treat their people that they work with at work. Integrity is being the same as I am, no matter where I am or who I'm with. You know, God wants our church to be a church that is full of people with integrity. You can't have a church that is a church that values integrity without its people being people of integrity, who value integrity. And in order to be a church of that, each individual needs to be people that model this. And for that to happen, it simply means that our faith is real. It's authentic. We're not putting on a show. We really believe what we believe. We're not just making it up to impress people or holding strongly onto some strong opinions so that we uh, appear good in other people's eyes. 
We genuinely believe what we believe. Our faith must be authentic. That can only occur from us having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One uh, 18th century preacher was out on the fields preaching and uh, a guy on the crowd, a mocker, sort of got out and he said, how do you know God's real? Interrupted his sermon and the response came back from the preacher. He said, because I've been talking with him this morning. Uh, Integrity is not just spouting things, but actually knowing the one we're talking about having a genuine, real relationship with Christ. That's why we want to be a Christ-centred church where each individual has Christ as their Lord and Saviour and the outworking of that is that we pray to him, we communicate with him, we read God's word and hear what he's saying to us. We seek to live in the way that he wants us to live, not because we want to be good people, but because we know the living God. And we want to live our lives in relationship with him. Some people um, think that the church should not be into marketing. And there's been a bit of talk about churches that market to the community. As I've been thinking about this, you know what I think? Every single week we send out hundreds and hundreds of billboards out of our church that clearly demonstrate by the way you live, what God is like. The way in which you and I act and speak. The way in which we know God and live with him in our lives. The integrity that we have with what we believe is a billboard for God. A billboard for the church as whether he's real or not. See, God wants us to be people of integrity in our daily lives in our daily lives. It's, Jesus, you know, he, he got really mad at the kind of people who would s- say something so strongly and would, would boldly and braggedly say something and yet live in a completely different way. He said, beware of false teachers, uh, prophets who come in a disguise as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. He says you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. You can pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. There is nothing worse than seeing someone claiming something but living their lives completely out of sync. And you know what happens? We have to question the root cause of our lives. If we say we believe in Jesus, if we say we know him, but our lives show inconsistency, lying, distorting the truth, immoral behaviour, other changes, other things that discredit who we are. God wants us to be people of integrity in our daily lives where our words and our thoughts and our actions match up together. So how can we have integrity in our thoughts? God wants us to have integrity in our thoughts. See what 
he says, Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Do you know the way we think affects the way that we uh, feel and the way that we act? If our beliefs, if we believe something, then we won't uh, act in a way different to that belief. So many people believe uh, or have an opinion about tithing or something. They think, yeah, we should give 10%. But they don't really believe it if they don't act out on it. Do you see that? It's easy to hold opinions, but convictions are things that we hold. True beliefs, our thoughts. And Paul says, we've got to train our mind to be thinking in godly ways. Thinking on things that are positive. Thinking on things that are of God, that are honourable and right and pure. So many people that I know who are followers of Christ have thought life that is constantly negative, constantly critical, constantly um, accusative. And, and Paul says, for followers of Christ, let's wrestle to be those that are thinking um, in a way that God calls us to think, on good thoughts about him. Think about his goodness and kindness to us. Um, think about all the things that he's given us in our lives. Our thoughts should be those of integrity. Our words, too, should be those that are filled with integrity that comes from knowing Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Matthew 12, 33 to 37, again, Jesus says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Then he, again, says to those uh, Pharisees, you brood of snakes, how could you evil men, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. See, if our words are spurting out lies and deceit, something's wrong with our hearts. We need to go back to, to our relationship with Jesus and surrender everything again to him in confession and say, God, please, forgive me. Come and take control of my life. I want to live for you in every way. A good person produces good things from the treasury of good in their heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. We're going to be given account one day for the words that we say, for the way we distort the truth, the way we hurt people, the way we lie with our words. The words that we say will either acquit or condemn you. If you are someone who is... You know, finding you're often dragging people down, criticising or distorting the truth. The thing is to come back to God right away. Surrender your life to him. Ask his forgiveness and ask the power of his Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life of integrity each day. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 19 cried out in Psalm 19 verse 4. He said, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the thoughts, be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's a great prayer, isn't it? For us, for people who want to be people of integrity in everything that we do, Psalm 19, verse 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the thoughts that I have, be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock 
and my Redeemer. Not only should our thoughts and our words, but our actions should be filled with integrity where uh, we are living according to the way that we, we live. Now, um, I've made a mistake there. It, the reference should be Daniel 6 and verse 4. And it says, Then the other administrators and high officers began teaching uh, began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticise or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible and completely trustworthy. Daniel was a man of such integrity and he lived his life in a way that honoured God, yet lived fully uh, in a way that was above reproach. And when his and people that were jealous of what he was doing, the way that he was living his lives and doing everything so well, tried to find fault with his life, they couldn't find fault. They found that his life had nothing in it to criticise or condemn. Oh, wouldn't that be what great for us? That our actions, that the way we live our lives in practical ways are seen by everybody to be good and right and full of integrity. God used Daniel in mighty ways because he trusted in God in the way that he ordered his life and structured his life. He acted at times against the rules of the land. He prayed when there was a rule saying that he should not pray. He stood by his beliefs and convictions even if it cost him dearly. Even his life, he was thrown into lion's den for praying. I wonder for you, are you someone who finds that you believe things, but then when pressure's put on to change, it changes. Well, we want our church to be a church where each one of us are standing for what God values, for his ways, no matter what the circumstances are. Uh, God wants us to be people of integrity in our families. It's clear from the example of Karl Marx that his father was able to influence him so poorly because of his lack of integrity. And if you're parents here today, God wants you to be the most godly influence on your parents, on your kids, as can be. If you come and say to uh, your kids, we're going to church today, we love God, and yet there's no demonstration of that in your home, what do you think your kids will believe? Kids need to see that what you believe and value is genuine in your life and in your heart. You know, this is hard, parents, isn't it? Because, believe it or not, being a parent is not a breeze. There are days when kids are screaming. There are days when teenagers are, uh, are lost. <laughs> there are, you can't even find them. There are days when things are going so wrong that you feel like pulling your hair out. But these are moments for us to be crying out to God and modelling our faith in our daily lives. Husbands, the Bible says, husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. It says that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In our marriages, this is the, the hardest, the clearest place because we're with people that we love and know us so well. Is Christ honoured in your marriage? Cry out to him for help and strength to be people of integrity right in our homes so that the people that know us most see Christ most 
in our lives. Yeah, God wants us to be people of integrity in our church and there's a number, number of ways that he wants us to do this. In Ephesians, uh, Paul says, speak the truth in love. Uh, one of the ways that we show integrity in our lives is by being true no matter where we are, no matter who we are. And for us as a church, actually talking about someone else negatively when they're not there is being du- duplicating ourselves. You know, we're, we're being nice on one sense, talking with the person, and then we're ripping them apart to someone else. That lacks integrity. It lacks credibility. So Paul says, no, no, speak the truth in love. If you're criticising someone, maybe it's something that is genuine that you could talk to them in love about and help them become a more godly person. What an incredible thing that would be for our church. If you, if you are holding a wrong opinion of them and you're just being sinful, you don't even need to talk to them. Just fall on your knees before God and confess that sin and, and think good thoughts about them, forgive them, get over it. But a church that says one thing to people and then duplicates ourselves and says something completely different over there lacks integrity. Gossip is something as a church that we just can't stand. Talk to people if you're feeling negative towards someone. If you're really struggling, come and talk to any of our pastoral team or leaders and we'll help you try and seek reconciliation or forgiveness. The other thing that, to be people of integrity is to, as a church is for just us to admit our mistakes. You know, if someone does come to you and says, do you know the way in which you acted to me really hurt me? You know, someone who has integrity does not get defensive, does not try and hide what, uh, you know, put on a front that makes us look good no matter what. A person with integrity is able to say, I realise I hurt you and I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Uh, To be humble enough to admit our mistakes is what a church of integrity looks like. To own it when we get it wrong. You see, integrity is not about perfection. It's about honesty and being real. So to just pretend that we're always right lacks integrity. I think another way that we as a church show integrity is that we do all that we can here to care for our congregation. One of the ways we do this is that regularly our church undergoes, has duty of care seminars and they're as boring as all can be. But really, they come out of our desire to really care for people. There are people that come here. There are people that are in all different areas of our church that we want to make sure the church operates in a way that is just and fair and is going to care for the people that come. So how do we do that? Well, uh, there are many different ways. But our leaders in kids' church and youth and, uh, all have to have police checks to be leaders in those areas. And we make sure that they do have police checks. Uh, another, just recently, the Department of Justice has said that we, uh, people that are dealing with children and uh, youth need to have official green cards, children's workers' cards. I think they're green anyway. But we want to be onto that straight away. We've already had some sessions teaching people and encouraging people to get these cards now so that when you put your kids in, you can know that we've done everything that we can to ensure that they're safe and cared for. You'll notice over here in the baptistry, we've just got this week, like, not this week, but in the last month, 
a cover that will go over that so that in between the services and the baptisms tonight, little kids aren't going to go falling in there. Just little things like that, which we're constantly looking to make sure that things are right. The way we handle our finances, we want it to be above reproach. You can find out anything about the church's finances anytime. Just give the church a call. We have regular reporting to our church meetings. We have regular accountability amongst our staff and leaders. Why? Because we don't want to go around with a whole lot of things hidden, non-transparent, secretive things that go on. We want to be as open as we can so this is a just and cared, cared place where you can be cared for. I think God wants us to be people of integrity in our families, in our church, and in our world. Um, each of us go out from here each week and we live in the world. <laughs> um, at work, I think to be people of integrity, it looks like the kind of people that uh, Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew uh, 5, when he said, Ma- Matthew 5.38, when he said, may your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, many people were saying, taking oaths at that time, and they're saying, oh, I, by the name of the Lord, I promise you that I will never do this, and crying out and making big oaths. And Jesus said, yeah, don't swear by this, don't swear by that, or take oaths like that. Just be a person whose yes is yes and whose no is no. In your workplace, you be a person where your yes is yes and your no is no. May your word be true in what you said. We're talking about honesty here, that if you say you'll do something, do it. Be someone who can be trusted. At work, work hard. To first of all, be honest. Uh, work hard. Do a, do a great job at your work. You know, Paul writes in uh, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though you're working for the Lord, not yourself. And live each day as though Jesus was your boss and work hard for him. And I think thirdly, honestly, on, work honestly, work hard and be people of purpose at work. Do you know, I think when I interact with people in my daily life, I want people to see that there is something different in my life be someone who's constantly praying for people, encouraging people, showing people that Christ is at work in your life. Be an encourager. Be an enthusiastic person to work with so that people can see Christ at work in your life. You know, there was a man who started to work at a uh, major company with a, with a large, big, you know, famous businessman. And he was his personal assistant. And on the first day on the job, the uh, businessman got a call and the personal assistant picked up the phone and said, uh, hello, can I help? And they said, I'm like wanting to speak to this businessman. And he said, uh, yes, I'll just put him on for you. And he put the phone and he went to the, gave it to the businessman. The businessman said, tell him I'm not here. And the businessman said, you, the, the, you know, the person who was his assistant said, you tell him you're not here and gave him the phone. And that guy, his face was red as he was talking on the phone to him and saying, yes, yes, yes. And then he hung up the phone and he said, don't you ever do that to me again. And he said, well, I will, because if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. From that day on, the respect of that man knew that he was a man of integrity. And he wouldn't lie for him, and he would never lie to him. And I think that's what we need to be at work, people of honesty, people who work hard, and people who have a sense of purpose and joy in our life, and it's seen by other people. I think we too need to be people in our city, in our region, 
who honour God in the way that we live. You know, we're part of Wodonga and Albury in this region. As we go out from here each week, I just hope that we will make this city better by the way that we live. If you're involved in, in, in work, think of the contribution you're making to this region as you go. If you're involved in um, leading in this, in this city, what an impact you can make to make this a, a, a better place. We've, um, we've got people here that are part of the police force, people that are part of the uh, nursing, people that are doctors, we've got people that are in schools, we've got people that are helping um, in council, we've got people that are all, all, all different areas. What a difference we could make as Christ followers for this city, for this region. My prayer is that as we go out together, we can impact our region. I think as a church, that's what our Christmas musical is about. We want to serve the people of this community by helping them celebrate Christmas together and by sharing with them the good news. One of the decisions that we've made this year is there's been less um, uh, expenditure this year is that a portion of the service, the income that we receive from the tickets is going to go to a, a cause in our community that will benefit our community. We just hope that people will look at our church and say, they're not a church that's just for themselves, but they want to make this region better. I'm just going to skip through now, but in our world, I think we need to make, be people of integrity. You know, we want to realise that for us as Christ followers, as we are people that live for Christ, we just can't turn our back on dying, hungry people. We can't turn our back on the world where there are people who are facing injustice and abuse. And we want to be a church that actually cares about people further than beyond our region. That's what our five-year commitment to Malawi and the people in Africa is about. We really care that people overseas are, are starving and are hungry. I care. My, my, my children are so precious to me. But my children are also just as precious in God's eyes than a black little child in Africa. And as a church, we want to be people that are actually not just turning ourselves off to the cries of the poor and the needy. And we want to continue to do that. Hey, there's a, a, no one of more integrity than Jesus Christ. He uh, lived a life that was in complete surrender and obedience to, to, to God. When he was put on trial towards the end of his, his time on earth, uh, they said, oh, this is what he's done. They accused him in all different ways. But in John's Gospel, we see him say, you know, I've no done nothing in secret. All my teaching has been open and public for you to hear. He put God's desires and obedience before everything. Not my will, but yours be done, he said. And he gave his life so that we might know him. There was never one full of more integrity than Jesus Christ, one without sin. He's our model as we seek to live a Christian life. Dr. Bourne Moorfield, a, a pastor, an African pastor, wrote these words. And I think this is for all of us who want to be people that can't be bought but live lives of integrity as a church. He said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed, of the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secured. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, 
small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed vision, mundane talking, cheap living and dwarf goals. I'm no long, I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, holdits or popularity. I don't have to be right. First, tops, recognised, praised, regarded or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift, my, uh, lift by prayer my, and, and labour by power. My face is set. My walk is fast. My goal is great. My road is narrow. My way rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice Hesitate in the presence of the adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes. Give till I drop. Preach till all know and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own. He will have no problems recognising me. My banner will be clear. What a prayer for each and every one of us, that we would stand for what we believe, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, that our words, that our thoughts, that our actions would match up and that our community, that our world and that our church would be a place of justice, of transparency and of integrity. Let's pray together, church, shall we? Hey God, we're part of the fellowship of the unashamed. We belong to you, Father. We belong to you, Jesus. And we won't be moved. We won't be bought. We can't be compromised. Our faith is in you. We want to live our lives for you everywhere. God, this week as we go to our workplaces, as we live in our families, we don't want to bring you shame. We want to bring you glory. God, we pray that people would see our lives and know you. God, we pray that people would would look into our faces and see your love. Oh, God, we want to be people of integrity, a church of integrity, no matter what. This is our prayer, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, just as we uh, close this morning... Now, I've I've got a um, certificate but I haven't got it right here. It might be my change room, but I'm going to give that to David and Jan Rowlings after the offering, okay? So I'll just find that in there. But we're going to now take a few moments to respond and to reflect. Blue cards are in front of you. If you could just fill out your name.